If you've got some kids that are uh, in children's worship on Sundays, you can dismiss them now or they may already be over there. But if you'd like to dismiss them, you can. pray. Lord, we want to lift up Terry Blankenship this morning. I want to, uh, want to ask you to uh, use him this morning as he's preaching to a people. Lord, we pray that he has been arrested with the gospel this week and uh, that he has enjoyed you and that it's invaded his heart and his home and his marriage and family and Pray that his ministry there is not neglected uh, for the ministry of uh, First Baptist, but that it is actually a, a a resource and a well that is full, and that it spills over onto a people. Pray that in his preaching, even in the, these next few minutes, that you will use him for your glory. Pray that his message will be centered on your glory and your gospel, and um, our role as walking banners of grace and mercy. And uh, pray that that people, Lord, will grow in worship and wonder and wisdom. And pray that we can be true partners with them. Just pray that you will guard our hearts from ever being in competition with any church in this community or ever expressing that sort of attitude, but that we will be shared partners with a Lord with uh, plenty to share and a gospel that's awesome and a commission that's a privilege. Lord, I pray that you will just give us a like-mindedness that will uh, result in you being glorified in the corporate expression of the faith in this community. Lord, in these next few minutes, I want to pray for shepherds especially. I pray for a message that will penetrate a heart and penetrate minds and schedules and priorities and one that will arrest shepherds with the gravity of our call. I want to pray for individual worshipers this morning that will be arrested with the riches that we have in your word. And with this special role of Christ's teachings and what it means to abide. I pray that we will, at least in these next few minutes, obey that. The commandment to enjoy. And pray that we will be changed as a result. Lord, I pray for clarity of speech and thought and for expression of truth that um, brings glory and honor to you. We love you, Lord. We turn this time over to you for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> turn to John chapter 12. <clears throat> We're finishing John chapter 12 today. It's a momentous day. John chapter 12, verse 44, begins, and Jesus cried out. We don't know where he is when he's speaking these words. We don't know who the specific audience is. It's kind of a weird insert here in John chapter 12. And while we don't know all those things, we know that it must be urgent for he cried out. And I'm thinking that the one that buckled the belt of Orion and clustered the Pleiades and scooped the oceans and piled up the mountains, that if he cries out about something, then his people ought to go, huh? We ought to be like E.F. Hutton, tuning in. I'm dating myself on some commercials that young people have 
maybe never heard about. Tuning in and engaging this truth. It started out, he cried out and he said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. So belief in Christ is not terminal. We're believing beyond him to the one who sent him. He says, whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. So not only is belief not terminal, seeing is not terminal. As we see Christ, we are enjoying the invisible God being revealed and explained. And of course, you can connect the dots there and recognize that believing is seeing, believing is beholding and engaging and enjoying this Christ, thereby enjoying the one who sent him. Last week, we enjoyed verse 46 together. I've come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. We recognize that that's just like his dad. Sounds kind of weird to refer to him as dad. Sounds just like the father. That may be more reverent. But just like his father, he's got this pattern, this redemptive pattern of deliverance from darkness where God just operates that way. And when you get to know this God of the Old Testament beyond the VeggieTales level, but to the God character level, then you go, well, that's just like his father. No doubt. He's God the Son. Of course he is. Bringing us out of darkness. Before we continue, which is where we're going to focus this morning in verses 47 through 50, I want you to keep your finger in John chapter 12. I want you to flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 18. I love, I mean just love, when Christ shows up in the OT. I love it because I realize that my Bible has had this integrity all along that I may not have tapped into and I may not have recognized. But when Christ shows up in the Old Testament, then it's really something to enjoy. Deuteronomy chapter 18 is on page 161 of your pew Bible. God is speaking to Moses. Listen to what he says to Moses. He says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. So God is speaking to Moses and he says, Moses, I'm going to raise up a prophet like me, a God-like prophet. Huh. From among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear again from the voice of the Lord my God or see his great fire anymore, lest I die. What he's speaking of there is Sinai. When the Ten Commandments were given to the nation of Israel, at first God spoke where all of Israel could hear it, and it scared them so bad. They said, Hey, Moses, uh, man, that's just too scary, the white hot glory of God. I mean, I, I'm afraid we're just going to be consumed by his glory. Can, can you go up the mountain and listen to him on our behalf? So that's what Moses became, is somewhat of a mediator, receiving a message from God, and that's what that's referring to. And then verse 17. It says, the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses. He's not talking about a different prophet than the first prophet. It's the same prophet. So it's going to be a prophet like me from verse 15. But then from verse 17, he's also going to be a prophet like you. And that's where Christ is showing up in the OT. Christ is fully God, yet fully man. And here he is. I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Another version says that vengeance will be mine if he does not hear the words that I am speaking. 
through this prophet that's also like me, but also like you. Now go back to John chapter 12. That prophecy that was expressed probably 1,500 years before Christ came is realized here in John chapter 12. Let me listen to the similarities, beginning in verse 47. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to the world to to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. What I'm hoping to do in these next few minutes, my burden in preparing for preaching this morning has been that as a result of us spending time together in these next few minutes and doing hard work, this is going to be a difficult morning together. It's going to be a journey. You have to work. You have to be engaged. But as a result of our time together, that you would own this passage. Like it'd be, like it's mine. That John 12, verse 47 through 50, I own that bad boy. I got it all up in me. And it's transformed me. That's my burden, is that it will own you and that you will own it. So we're going to low crawl through it and we're going to gnaw on it together. Let's start in verse 47. We're going to go back to it time and time again this morning. So just get ready for that. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. That word judge there actually means condemn. And elsewhere in John, it's translated condemn. Translators just chose to put judge there. But I hope you appreciate that judgment is a, is a subset of, or excuse me, Condemnation is a subset of judgment because you might be acquitted or you might be just uh, let off the hook. I don't know. Maybe that's the same thing as acquitted. Y'all, you legal guys, <laughs> you doofus, yeah. Recognize that condemnation is a spe- very specific ingredient in judgment. And that's what he's speaking of here. He says, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not condemn him, for I did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Man, when I read that passage and I was preparing for this morning, I was like, whew, whew, man, what a relief. Golly, I mean, some of the passages, some of the sermons that we've been engaging these last two or three months, man, I, I, with furrowed brows, with uh, concerned faces, with trembling and quaking, we've engaged these truths, these messages were Christ has preached about what it means to follow him is that, that it's a picture of urgency. It's a picture of dailiness. It's a picture of picking up a big old cross. It's a picture of being seed that falls to the ground and dies. Man, a message like this that he came not to condemn but to save is like, whew. <laughs> Thank goodness. With all those people wanting to stone Christ, conspiring to kill him, I almost started to believe that this journey was going to be hard. These last few weeks have been a real pattern of disturbing the comfortable. And those of you who've been here know exactly what I'm talking about. Man, I've been quite disturbed. But this truth, man, here we got one that's going to comfort the disturbed. Oh, man, we got to like this together. We got to enjoy this together. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 16. You can kind of keep your finger in John, but turn over to Nehemiah. Nehemiah. I told my kids that he liked to drink Nehi, and they said, huh? You know who he is, who, what Nehi is. That's on page 405 of your pew Bible or your ESV. 
I put those page numbers in there for me. You may not know that. You think I'm helping you out. Page 405. We were enjoying this Nehemiah together as a family. As family, we've been, we've been doing what I've been charging you to do as families. And we've been reading through the Old Testament together as a family. And we got to Nehemiah. And this passage, just I, we read that this week. This passage I'm about to share with you. We read it this week while I was preparing for this message today. And I was like, man, that's just like Jesus coming not to condemn but to save. Listen, this is a passage where Israel is confessing their sins. And it's referring to their fathers, their forefathers. And Israel speaking God word. It says, but they and our fathers acted. Did I tell you verse 9, 16? But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments, God. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them, like parting the Red Sea and stuff like that. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive. Collective enjoyment. You're a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and you did not forsake them. Man, that is such good medicine. That is so comforting the disturbed. Go back to John chapter 3. As you're turning there, I'll share share a passage with you. I want to show you something in John chapter 3 about the character of Christ's ministry, that He came not to condemn, but to save. As you're turning there, listen to this in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. It says, The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. (laughs) Another big, I'm lost. Man, I like those sort of messages, those sort of passages. John chapter 3, verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. There it is but in order that the world might be saved through him. Man, while I am so comforted in that truth, and I enjoy the fact that we had a little opportunity to engage that this morning, I want to introduce you to a principle. While every verse in our Bible is completely true, one verse cannot and does not reveal the truth completely. I'm going to say that again because I want you to process it. While every verse in our Bible is completely true, one verse and even just a couple of verses don't reveal the truth completely. That's why we have a whole Bible. I've got this principle that I've made up. It's kind of a cheesy principle, but it helps me kind of process what I'm talking about. It's called GPS principle. I'm coining that. I put a little circle C behind it, so it's copyrighted. So if anybody uses that, you know you got to get permission from me. The GPS principle. Really, I'm being facetious. You can use it all you want. Some of you may have, may have a GPS in your car. Have you used one before? You know that a GPS works off multiple satellites. When we were in the Marine Corps, we had these big cats. That In 1990, this was the size of a GPS, and you carried this, lugged this thing around. And it wouldn't give you a reading unless it had at least three satellites because it needed three satellites to triangulate. If it had less than three, it could tell you you're anywhere, so it wouldn't tell you anything. But if you had three satellites, you had a pretty good idea of where you were. And the more satellites that were added in, the more robust the reading, where you could be more and more sure about where it was saying that you were. And the same is true of the Word. 
It, you can't build a theology or a truth that is life-changing on one single verse. You've got to add in some satellites. You've got to bring in some satellites. The more satellites that you bring in, the more robust the truth. For every passage you factor in, the truth grows more and more sure. Just like a GPS. Now here's where I'm going with that. We, being Christians, and I, I'm using my own context as a reference here. Since the age of six, I believe, the journey of faith, where I'm listening to sermons, where I'm engaging Sunday school lessons or Bible study lessons or training union or RAs or whatever. We may be guilty of living on truths about His loving kindness and salvation toward a stiff-necked people without feasting on the other satellites too. <laughs> While I enjoy this first thought, this first point, that Christ came to seek and save the lost, that He did not come to condemn, that He came to save, we've got to factor in the rest of the satellites. If that's all we've got, then all we've eaten is ho-hos. We need some vegetables. We need some meat. We need some nourishment. We can be a malnourished people because all we eat is the sweet stuff. And the reason I'm going that direction is because the rest of this passage that we're studying, verses 48 through 50, turns out he's talking about judgment after all. I thought he was talking about salvation, and I was really excited about it, that big collective. But then as you consider the rest of the passage, let's see where it goes. Verse 48 and 50. The one who rejects me, rejects me does not receive my words, has a judge. Uh-oh, there's judgment after all. The word that I have spoken will judge, in other words, condemn him on the last day. Just consider those two passages and consider that he cried out this urgent message and that here it transitions from an affirmative being Hey man, seeing is believing. If you're seeing me, you're seeing the Father. Salvation's in store for you. The sweet affirmative message to hear it transitions to an ominous, here's what it means if you don't believe. Hear the gavel. The gavel. That's my sound effect for a gavel. I won't do it again. That ominous transition. Here's what it means when you reject Christ. Here's what it looks like. You might be doing it and not even know it. That's why this passage here, I think that's why Jesus is crying out. He's crying out. I don't know what this people were like 2,000 years ago, but I know that I need to be cried at sometimes. Sometimes I need the Word to just scream at me, and I feel like I've been wrung out like a wet rag on this passage that Jesus has cried out for these last few weeks. And today's no different. I can't wait for us to be done with John 12 but we had to eat it. And I encourage you to eat it with me in these next few minutes. Let's consider these next few passages. While at first blush, it seems in verse 47, he's talking about salvation. This passage is about his authority and his judgment. Don't miss it. The condemnation that he's speaking about here is a very specific outcome. It's not a slap on the wrist. The condemnation that he's speaking about involves Fire, brimstone. Maybe I've heard that word before. I don't know what that is. How about burning sulfur? How about a big lake of it? An eternity in it. That's the condemnation that this is about. That's worth crying out about. 
That's worth gnawing on as a people for a morning. All these things that make for a very uncomfortable eternity is what this passage is about. I want you to notice how this passage unfolds. Despite the fact that at first blush it seems like it's about salvation, when we really chew on it, we find out that it, this passage is about His words and His teachings. I'm going to read verse 47 through 50 again, and I want you to pay attention to the things that I emphasize. I want you to see Christ's emphasis here. If anyone hears my words. Okay, just pay attention. If you like to underline your Bible, those would be a good thing to underline. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, the words, them refers to the words. I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me does not receive my words. And that one has a judge. And what's the judge? The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life, what to say. Therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Do you see the emphasis? It's all about his word. It's all about his teachings. It's all over this passage. And then the other thing that's emphasized there is, well, what and how people interact with that word. I'm going to read just the first couple of verses again, verse 47 and 48, and listen to those things, those word, message, commandment, and listen to what else is emphasized. If anyone hears my word. So it's not just about his message. It's also about how people interact with it. If anyone hears my words, and does not keep them. Okay, hearing and not keeping. I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me does not receive my words. That one has a judge. And that judge is the word that I've spoken that will judge him on the last day. This passage is about his message, and it's about people and what people do with that message. That's what this thing is about. It's not about him just coming to seek and save the lost. It's not about him not coming to condemn the world. It's about the authority of this word. It's about the authority of his stories, his teachings, and what God's people do with it. Here's where this thing goes. Here's my summary. This is the Ben summary. Bringing out the emphasis on the things that he's emphasizing. Hearing ones. You're going to hear this again in the next few minutes. Hearing ones of his words who are not keeping ones of his words are the same thing as the ones who are not the receiving ones of his words. So those who hear it but don't keep it are not receiving it. And these end up being Rejecting ones of his person. <laughs> you say, man, I'm all over Jesus, but I really don't have time to do anything with his word. This passage says otherwise. Hearing ones of his words who are not keeping ones of his words is the same thing as not receiving ones of his words. These end up being rejecting ones of his person. And what is the result of being the rejecting one of his person? Condemnation, here, fire, brimstone, Lakes, screaming, pain, 
suffering. Turn to 2 John chapter 9. 2 John is at the back of your Bible, right in front of uh, Jude and Revelation and 3 John. I'll give you a page number. It's page 1025. This isn't the only place that this truth emerges. You've got to hear the gravity of the passage I'm about to share with you. 2 John, verse 9. Everyone who goes on ahead, that's kind of a weird phrase. New American Standard basically says, anyone that gets out in front, anyone that, um, who, who goes too far, is what the New American Standard says. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. There it is again. Anyone who goes out in front, anyone who goes on ahead, anyone who goes too far and does not abide. When you see abide here, hearing and keeping. When you see abide, think about what you do in your house. Are you there right now? No. Are you there usually? I bet you are. You want to understand what it means to hear and to keep? Think about what you do with your house. It's where I can usually find you. If I need to talk to you, I bet I can call you and get you there often. That's what it means to abide in his teachings. If I want to call you and say, hey, man, where are you? Oh, I'm just in Christ's teachings. Well, of course you are. That's where you live. That's where, where we abide. That's our abode as the people of God, hearing it and keeping it. That's why we're characterized. Are we there every single minute of every single day? I don't think you're home every single minute of every day. But you're usually there. Basically, he says, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ. It's the same message, John 12. Everyone who does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. But the affirmative, whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Good news. Turn back to John chapter 8. I'm going to show you one other picture of this. Just so you know, this isn't kind of this weird concocted thing, this weird stray truth, but it is a robust. We're just adding in satellites right now. John chapter 8. We've been visiting John chapter 8 a lot recently, and I think uh, it's, uh, I don't know why the Lord just keeps leading us there, but I've titled this chapter, in, if, if I were to put a title in my Bible, which the titles are not not. Um, inspired. You need to know that. Somebody put those in there. If I was to put one in there, it would be the revival gone bad. Because in John chapter 8, verse 30, man, the front rows are full of people filling out their decision cards. They've got their little stubby pencil there that's always too dull to write with. And you're like, man, this is all we got. You know, you might as well write with my finger. But the rows are full, man. People are making decisions all over the place. The revival has gone well. In John chapter 8, verse 30, he just preached on being the light of the world, and as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Ah, score. But then the problem is Jesus keeps on preaching. They're like, oh, Jesus, stop. Stop, we had a successful revival until you kept talking. Because then in verse 31 he says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, the same ones that are filling out their decision card. He says, if you abide in my word. There it is again. If you hear, heed, keep, do, 
dwell in, enjoy, savor. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's the same truth of John 12. It's the same truth of 2 John verse 9. And in this passage, we see that knowledge and freedom come in the abiding. (laughs) And that abiding is how we know Him. So here's the big, fat, ominous truth. If you say you know Him, listen to this. If you say you know Him, yet you're not abiding in His teachings, you may not know Him at all. You may know a figment of Him that you've conjured up. That looks, he's a guy that looks like Michael Bolton. And we, we met him like 30 years ago, and it was a very emotional experience. If you're not abiding with an ING in his word, you may not know him at all. Let the gravity of that hit you. I can't soften this, and I so want to. Christy and I had a good talk the other day. <clears throat> I'm so thankful for my little mini congregation that hears the sermon before you hear it. Because Christy shared with me, she said, you know, I understand what you're saying there. I understand you're preaching the passage, but when Evan and Luke were young, Luke was just a baby. Evan was a toddler. We were living in College Station. I was working at A&M, gone all the time. Christy's at home just trying to keep it in the middle of the road. I mean, she's, she's got... Baby food in one hand, changing a diaper in another, trying to cook dinner with her foot. I mean, she's just trying to keep it in the middle of the road. And she's like, you know, I just don't think that I wasn't saved then. I wasn't inviting in the word in the way you're, you're representing it and characterizing it. So was I saved or was I not? And I said, I just don't think it works that way, babe. I think that the elect, that they're drawn and that they grow and that he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. But that we're on a journey and we're people in process. And while you were in a little season there, that the people of God are to be characterized by abiding. And then I also thought, after our conversation, I hadn't shared this with her, I thought, where was I as the shepherd? She may not have been abiding in it because I wasn't bringing it home. I was teaching a Sunday school class, preparing to teach a class of young couples. And meanwhile, I had a young couple right at home I could have been teaching. So she may not have been abiding because of me, but I want you to see that we cannot soften this. We are so prone to systematizing things. And in systematizing this, you can neuter this robust truth. And trying to fit it, well, does it mean you're saved? Does it mean you're in, you're out? Just don't ask those questions. Just let the full weight of this hit you and remain fully weighted. We are prone to softening and diluting and asking, now what does this mean for yesterday or a year ago or a month or now? Let the full weight of it be and keep the full weight and let it change you how it ought to change you. The hearing ones of his words who are not the keeping ones of his words are not the receiving ones of his words, so they're the rejecting ones of his Christ. And rejecting ones are condemned ones. Fire, sulfur, brimstone, a big lake. Just let that sucker hit you. Don't systematize it. Let the weight of it hit you. I've tried to process this a little bit. I think about my life, and I think about how the lives that I engage in as a pastor. Think about this. 
busy ones are not hearing ones. Busy ones are not hearing ones because they're too busy. So they can't be keeping ones. So they're certainly not receiving ones. Because if receiving is hearing it and keeping it, but they're too busy to either hear it or keep it, how could they possibly receive it? So this equates to Christ being a rejected one, and thereby the busy one is the condemned one. <laughs> lazy ones. I'm going to pick on the lazy. Something I hear frequently from people is, man, I'm just not much of a reader, you know. I, I, lie, I know I ought to read the Bible, but I'm not much of a reader. And I, listen, I love you. I want you to know I love you. I'm going to share this with you in love. That's laziness. That's like saying I'm too busy. I'm, I'm too, too tired to eat. Huh? <laughs> Maybe that's just my problem. I never had that problem. <laughs> I'm never too tired to eat. Man, that's good nourishment. Lazy ones are not hearing ones because they're too lazy to go hear it. Whether it's the teaching of the Word or the preaching of the Word or whether it's picking it up and gnawing on it between Sundays. I'm just, I'm just kind of lazy. Lazy ones are not hearing ones, so they can't be keeping ones, so they're definitely not receiving ones. So the lazy one is a rejecting one, and they are, in essence, a condemned one. Man, I'm not going to just pick on the busy ones and the lazy ones. How about the distracted ones? The distracted ones are the hearing ones, but they're not really hearing because they're distracted. But since they're distracted and they're not really hearing it, they can't be keeping it, so they're not receiving ones. And rather, they're rejecting ones of our Christ, and hence, they're condemned ones also. Or how about complacent ones? Complacent ones are hearing ones who only think that they're hearing ones. But because there's no keeping of this life-altering, knee-dropping, daily-enjoying message, they're not receiving ones. And if they're not receiving ones, then they're rejecting ones who are condemned. How about just disobedient ones? This is all of us at times. Disobedient ones may be hearing ones, but they may just have a form of godliness that lacks power. Disobedient ones might be hearing ones that say, man, that's a great message, who are not keeping ones. They're disobedient ones because they're not keeping ones. So if they're hearing and not keeping, hearing and not heeding, hearing and not doing, then they're not receiving His words, so they're rejecting Christ and are condemned. Let the full weight hit you. But here's the affirmative. The hearing ones who are keeping ones are receiving ones because they hear it and they keep it. And as they receive it, they are not rejecting ones and they are not condemned ones. Don't fit it into a system. Just let that truth hit you square in the eyes. Trust and know that God is a God of forgiveness. He's gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Please know that He came to seek and save the lost. Know that. Enjoy that. Collective. Please know that He came to save the world, not to condemn it. But you better. You've got to add in this satellite that dabbling in what needs to be heard and disobeying what needs to be kept just doesn't work for the people of God. You can't heed what you haven't heard. You can't enjoy what you're not engaging. You can't fellowship with a transient, momentary, periodic treatment of his story that he says is how we engage him. 
You can't do that. You can't do that any more than a healthy marriage can be two people just kind of passing in the night. Any more than a healthy marriage can be two people that just come to each other when we need something. Hey, hon, I need some dinner. Hey, babe, I need some money. That's not a marriage. And it shouldn't be characteristic of the people of God to treat our God that way or to treat His Word, His story that way. We are to feast on it, to enjoy it, to abide in it, to heed it, to keep it, to hear it, to do it. Like wool is characteristic of a sheep, that's characteristic of God's people. Enjoying it. Savoring it. I'm afraid that we may be guilty of living on soft truths and a few selective satellites and not even considering the consequences of hard truths. And here's a hard truth that you've got to get from this passage. Turn back over to John 12. I want you to see it. I want you maybe even underline it, circle it. Verse 50. <clears throat> this is so sweet. And this is just a radical transformation for me. Sometimes I feel real bad in preaching and shepherding and ministering because sometimes I feel like I'm more martial. Get it together. Let's rage together. Let's pursue Him. And less, hey, man, it's going to be okay, you know. Less gracious and those sort of things. And that my, I may emphasize on something that shouldn't be emphasized. But then when I see a passage like this, I go, no. Maybe I am on the right track. It's both and. It's not one or the other. Listen to this verse, verse 50. And I know that His commandment is eternal life. When that hit me this week, these last few weeks preparing for it, that hit me square in the eyes. Gospel as commandment? Faith as commandment? I've never really thought about it that way. I've never really treated it that way. Gospel and faith, as I present and as I preach, is often treated and understood as encouraged and hoped for. Man, you guys just kind of, you know, just, just go after it. But I've never really seen it as commandment until now. And there it is in black and white. Gospel as commandment. But it's in keeping with His Father. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm going to show you a series of passages before we close this morning in Deuteronomy, that show you relationship as commandment, love as commandment. And I want you to hear it from the point of view of the one that spoke and light happened. (laughs) That this is what he spoke to his people as commandment. Listen to this in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. God says to the nation of Israel, listen, I've never connected this dot before. And this is such an important dot. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Man, I bet most of you have heard that passage before. Listen to how it continues. And these words that I command you. Huh? Love as commandment? And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. I've always viewed love as this kind of reciprocal thing, like between me and Christy. You know, that's my reference. You know, boy meets girl. We found each other. We fell in love. We kind of keep each other 
uh, uh, happy, we enjoy each other, we have a relationship, and that's love. But love is decision, and if a marriage is to grow to a healthy marriage, it's got to move to a place where it's not based on what you feel like. It's you've decided to love. And that's the sort of love that he's saying here. Decide, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And that's a commandment. Huh? Here's another one, Deuteronomy chapter 11. Love as command. You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep His charge, His statutes, His rules, and His commandments always. Love and commandment going together. Look at verse 13. And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today, what's the first one? To love the Lord your God and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Man, there it is again. Look at verse 22 on the next page. For if you will be careful to do all His commandments, all this commandment that I command you to do, loving the Lord your God as commandment. I'm realizing that God has expressed this commandment to love me. And the way he's done that, the way he's revealed himself is in this book with these stories, with these words. It's more than just a piece of leather with paper and ink on it. It is relationship. It is vehicle into relationship. And that we can't hope to enjoy him and engage him but by this word. And he's commanding to love him. And then look back at Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3. Listen to what he says about these words and how it all comes together. It says, And he humbled you and let you hunger, and he fed you with manna, Israel, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that a man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. See how this thing connects is he's commanded us to love. And in the the loving, there's life. Commanded us to engage, commanded us to abide, commanded us to feast on His story and His teachings and His works and His wonders and His character. And the byproduct of that is life. I've just never seen this commandment before. And these words were given from a prophet or through a prophet that was Moses. These words that we're engaging in John chapter 12 are from the prophet like Moses. Fully God and fully man. His words have divine authority because they did not originate with with them, but they originated with God the Father on high. That's what he's saying here. These words are commandment. They have authority, and Jesus places them on the bench as judge. That's the impact of these words. They are not prohibitive like we think of commandment. But I'm going to make up another word. Instead of prohibitive, they are life-givative. I know that's a lame word, but I want to see the contrast. It's not a thou shalt not. It's a enjoy me, feast on me, engage my story, and live. You can't know him apart from this book. You cannot have a living relationship apart from his story abiding in it. You can't dabble in this. 
I read a commentator periodically that is from the 1600s. And he wrote these words about this passage. Listen to what he said. He said, because I burn with great desire for your salvation. He's speaking on John 12. As if this is from Christ. Because I burn with great desire for your salvation. I refrain from my right of condemning you and am entirely employed in saving what is lost. Thank you. But do not imagine that you have slipped out of the hands of God. For even should I be altogether silent, the word which you have despised is of itself your fit judge. Man, do you hear the weight of that? This word that's so accessible to us, it's so available. You understand why Paul could write to Timothy and say, man, keep preaching it. There'll come a time where people will no longer endure it, but you keep preaching it. Because some will endure it. And that's a good word, isn't it? The fellow disturbed disturb people. That's a good word. You can understand why Peter would encourage us to long for the pure spiritual milk of the word. That by it we may grow up to salvation. Man, what a treasure we have in our laps, in our hands. If you came here without one today, a Bible, the door into fellowship, that one in front of you is yours. Own that bad boy. Put your name in front of it. Mark that thing up. Feast on it. It is relationship. Let me pray. Lord, what a challenging, challenging message that you've cried out to us these last few weeks. Lord, we are so grateful for your grace, for your patience. We're grateful for the reality that you are, of the reality that you are long-suffering with stiff-necked people because we, we count ourselves stiff-necked. Lord, we want to appreciate the gravity of these extra satellites that we've feasted on, that Christ cried out, and that we can be an urgent, earnest, raging, zealous, hungry people that are feasting and gnawing on your word, that are engaging your teachings, that are enjoying you. I pray for shepherds. They will see some ownership this morning and recognize that they have the very words of life in the, between the pages or between a big chunk of leather. And then if they will but escort that into home and lives and, lie, and, and little kids, that you'll be glorified in a people and that you'll be enjoyed and you'll be worshipped. Lord, I beg for ownership there. I pray that what people will see is what we're doing this morning, equipping for what takes place between Monday through Saturday. Lord, I pray for those men and maybe those functional shepherds, single moms or spiritually single moms, that as they're hearing this message, that you will just give us, uh, by grace, you will give us what we need, the resources that we need to embark on this venture of gnawing on this word together as families, of enjoying this Christ together as families, of savoring your teachings and your person. 
through the time that we spend together. Lord, we pray that you'll be glorified in that. We beg you for the resources. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.